Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. One place you go to to admire lawn and cop some tips is a golf course. And we're going to talk a bit of golf right now with uh, one of Australia's best golf riders, Evan Priest, who has also done a little side project. It's a 13-part podcast. He's amongst friends here. <laughs> audiometry, I'm going to call it. Did you just make something up there? I certainly did. It's no such thing. But anyway, it's uh, <laughs> a podcast series he's done with Steve Williams, the ex-caddy of uh, Tiger Woods, Greg Norman, Adam Scott, a few others as well. Ev, good morning. How are you, mate? Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I'm, mate, I'm, I'm pretty good. It was a bit of a whirlwind day yesterday announcing the podcast and, and the feedback's been pretty good so far. And, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to sort of kick the series off and publish two more episodes a week. Excellent. So it's it's out there right now. And what's it called and, and how did it come about? Yep. So it's called Chasing Majors. Um, just because, you know, the ultimate end goal of professional golf is to chase major championship victories. So I thought I'd go with something simple, short and sharp. And it's out there. It's on um, Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's just going through the motions of Google Podcasts. And, um, and, and you can find it out there as long as you search for Chasing Majors. And uh, to answer your question about how it came about, I, I suppose I was just a little bit bored in lockdown. And uh, I wanted something to, to, to take my mind off, you know, being cooped up inside. So I had known Steve for a few years. He was, um, I got to know him when he was caddying sort of the, the back end of his time with Adam Scott. And, you know, we always got along really well. And I just sort of hit him up. I gave him a call and I said, what do you think? And he said, let's do it. Just because, you know, it was kind of a little bit inspired. And it's a funny story, Adam, because you had me on this radio station maybe this time last year when that, when that Tiger Woods HBO documentary came out. Mm. And I think that's where the penny dropped um, for me. And I thought, Steve has done the odd documentary here and there, but they always group him amongst, you know, 15 people that um, have something to say about Tiger Woods, but nobody had ever sat Steve down and said, hey, let's just talk golf, like none of this bullshit. Let's talk golf. Um, and, and sort of, you know, some people might think that 13 episodes is a bit much, but if you love golf, it's not. And I, and I just don't think that you could do each of those major wins justice unless you single them out for their own episode. So that's kind of how we arrived here. Well, let's have a listen to a part of one of the episodes, and it uh, pertains to the 99 PGA Championship where – Steve Williams overall Tiger on a read on the 17th and it turned out to be the right decision because Tiger drained the putt and thanked him afterwards like this. Tiger trusted me and it was the right call and I believe that was, you know, and that's what cemented our place. He, um, well, one of the funniest things I've ever actually seen is uh, he um, he sent me uh, a picture from him holding the trophy Um and then he had me um, sort of mounted behind a sheep. It's like saying, great call on this hole, you sheep shagger. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were off to a good start there. <laughs> so Kiwis can tell that story and get away with it. If it was in the reverse, it would be like, hey, 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 hang on, hang on. But he was he was pretty open about his, his time with Tiger? Yeah, here's what I'm hoping, that Kiwis um, are a nation that, that are able to laugh at themselves because uh, that could go one of two ways. But... He was, uh, I, I, that just caught me by surprise. That One thing, and I, I was very, very fortunate in my job over in the States that I was able to have a couple of one-on-one interviews with Tiger. And, and, I, and I picked up that he, he loves to give people that he comes across, which is thousands of people every day, he loves, them, he loves to give them a little nugget about their home country. He just likes to sort of show off that he knows something about their home country. And 
for, for him to know that the whole sheep shagger dynamic, which is obviously not true, it's just a very funny, incorrect stereotype. Um, but for him to know that, it, it was impressive and funny at the same time. Uh, Evan, how in in the thirteen episodes, how in depth does does Steve go in, in regards to his tiger stories? You mentioned about the uh, the documentary last year that sort of came out and. Anything to do with Tiger Woods? People are hanging all over every word. How in depth does he go uh, in the in your uh, podcast? Yeah, Nick, very very in depth. And, and sorry, I, d- I didn't answer the second part of Adam's question, but um, he, he kind of opens up a, a lot. Like you know, it's, I'm biased because it's my own podcast, but hmm. uh, he he tells stories that I had never heard before. There, there's you know, I won't give anything away, but there was a story about a helicopter incident in Thailand in 2000, at the end of 2000. He opens up about what it was like to fly in Tiger's private jet from Florida off to the major championships in, you know, Scotland and the UK. Um, and, you know, about little reconnaissance missions where they'd fly to this to a golf course that was hosting a major championship maybe three or four weeks early and just sort of get all their homework done. Um, and then just, just those kind of spiritual moments you know, um, you know, like when, when Tiger would always wake at what they called dawn thirty. So they had this saying, dawn thirty. So whenever the sun rose, half an hour after that was when Steve was expected to be on the driving range with Tiger, and they basically get their practice round done at Starfire well before all the crowds and all the other players and caddies come. And and he just kind of takes you behind the scenes and tells you what it was like to to sort of stand two feet away from the greatest golfer arguably ever during his greatest period. And there's just little, you know, practice habits and, and, and the way that they traveled together, some of the jokes that they shared, but also what it was like for Steve, because I got the sense throughout this whole series that he didn't really ever get time to stop and smell the roses and sort of soak up what he'd achieved. Um, and it was quite stressful because he never got to really celebrate any of those wins. And, and it felt like this was maybe the first time, this podcast series, that he was able to sit down and, and think, shit, you know what, like, I was a part of history and I'm really grateful for that. With the relationship on the golf course, so you mentioned there about what they they did to get. Does he go into depth about how he was able to to help Tiger on the course? Because you you look at Tiger and he was he was built to win from a very young age by his dad, and his dad's relationship with his dad was very close. But then you get the outsider, and I remember after the '97 Masters, he uh, I think it was. Um, Mike Cowan was it? Was that the first caddy he had? Yeah, five Cowan. He he just bombed him. He just went out, and he got someone else in. Mm-hmm. How close was the relationship allowed to be in terms of, you know, if Tiger had a shot and Steve could see something that it was going to turn out not so good, he could overrule him. He he had that power over him. Was it was it that dynamic, or was it something else? What one hundred percent, and not only that, Steve Steve reveals in the podcast that. He actually, um, he recalls the very first time he lied to Tiger about a yard. So Steve would, Steve would had worked out quite quickly that um, the way that Tiger was swinging the club in the, in the pressure cauldron of the major championships, with all the adrenaline flowing through him, he, he knew that Tiger would hit the ball maybe five or seven yards harder just because he just, you know, jacked up. Um, but he didn't want to have an argument with Tiger over certain shots. So what he would do is he would lie about the distance of the hole so the Tiger would automatically choose the club that Steve originally wanted him to without an argument. And so, you know, like there was an example, I think it was the... Um, I do that with my children. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says, uh, and, and this is coming out, I think, next week in episode four, um, the 2000 PGA Championship, it's sort of regarded as the greatest battle that Tiger ever faced from anyone. 
and it was just sort of, I don't want to call him nobody because he's a lovely guy, but his name was Bob May, and he just stuck it to Tiger for 18 holes. He did not back down, and there was a shot sort of late in the, on the back nine where Steve thought, well, I want Tiger to hit a sand wedge, so I'm going to suggest that the, sorry, I, I, want to hit, I want Tiger to hit a lob wedge, so I'm going to suggest that the yardage is shorter than it actually is because I know that he'll hit it really hard It'll fly up in the air, and you'll probably get an extra 10 yards out of this lob wedge, and it'll be the correct hole. And he, he took a massive gamble. He, he really could have been fired for that after the round if, if Tiger hadn't won. And then from there, he got the confidence to lie, lie to Tiger quite often. And he said there was one round at, during a regular PGA Tour event, the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Florida. He said he didn't give Tiger a correct yardage for the, for the entire round. 18 holes, he lied about the distance of the hole. So... It's just little insights like that where you go, holy moly, this just, you know, we can't get enough of Tiger and this is just a different lens um, through which to view him. Like, well, Tiger didn't exactly tell the truth the whole time, either, did he? So <laughs> yeah. he, he, can't be, uh, he can't be pointing fingers, old, old Tiger. But, Evan, one thing I do, I do notice about Steve Williams is he knows the, the right moment. And he's always in the background. Adam Scott, Scotty's putt at Augusta. I've never seen a caddy get to the right spot for the right photo in all my life. Yeah, yeah, he is guilty of that. And you know what I would say to that? It's just when you're the greatest caddy of all time, you can do whatever you mm. want because he, he really, you know, like some people don't like Steve in the world of golf and maybe for that reason, but, he earned the right to sort of get in, involved in, in the player's celebration more than, say, other caddies would because he actually did improve all those golfers. If you look at Adam Scott, will tell you, if you ask him tomorrow, you know, did I become a better golfer because of Steve Williams? 100% yes. He actually read the winning putt for Adam mm. Scott in the 2013 Masters. Like, like I, I don't think Adam... He might have won that Masters, but he doesn't hold that putt that ended up winning it for him because he, he read it nowhere near correctly what the actual read was. I think Adam read it a cup outside of right, and Steve Williams, you can see him on the broadcast if you can lip read. He says, that's not even close. It's two and a half cups, and the rest was history. So, he, yeah, like it's funny, but he, I, I think he earned the right to, to get in amongst those celebrations and, and make it a little bit about him because it kind of was. <laughs> hey, Evan, further afield, you're just about to head back over the States um, to continue working. Yep. It's a fascinating time for golf because it mm. seems the popularity, I mean... It, you could look at anything and say, oh, the popularity has exploded because if you go down whatever avenue you want to on the internet, you'll, you'll find what you want. It's pretty easy to find what you want. But it seems golf is going through this phase at the moment where it's it's becoming big. Like it's it's getting bigger all the time. Uh, the, the money has exploded in terms of prize money. And now you've got this wild card in the fact that the Saudis want to get involved with Greg Norman's help and create a new tour for just ridiculous, mind-boggling amounts of money. Where is it at at the moment? Can can that conceivably happen? And has golf got to be careful because we've seen when, you know, new boys come on the block, i.e. things like Super League here in Australia, it can tear the sport mm. apart. Yeah, it, it could. It has the potential to disrupt golf uh, in one or two ways, either positively or negatively. I would say for the most part it would be positive because, I think it could, honestly, what you just mentioned, the Super League, the Rugby League Wars back in the late 90s, I think it could have a very similar effect in that, you know, you can start the Splinter League and then that's all good and well. Um, but I don't, I don't know if the interest is there because a lot of golf is driven by history and, you know, nostalgia. So 
you know, going to this tournament and this golf course and people can't wait. Like at the moment, Riviera Country Club in LA, very famous historic golf course. People love watching the best players in the world play that golf course. Um, and this new league won't have that. But what, what it could do is actually just force the PGA Tour to improve its own product because I do love most of the PGA Tour, but, you know, they're probably guilty of having a monopoly and maybe resting on their laurels just a little bit and, and not really looking at the products and how it could evolve um, and, and, and improve. Um, so, and, and I think Phil Mickelson, he had, like, I don't know if you've read it, but he had this bombshell interview with uh, Alan Shipnuck yesterday in which case he... He, he sort of said that was his um, motive for this whole speaking out and, and being one of the leading guys for this new Saudi league is that he actually doesn't really want to play the Saudi league as much as he wants to improve the PGA to a product. Mm. Whether that's true is a different story, but I think the uh, the positive effect is that the PGA tour might go, all right, well, in defense of this new threat, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And that could potentially benefit Australia because, you know, for a long time, people have been crying out for, for a PGA tour event in Australia um, the, the, the sand belt um, is world-class and deserves its own spotlight every year on, from the world of golf. And um, the PGA Tour is certainly looking at the fall, what they call the fall or autumn series on the PGA Tour, like October, September, October, November. And they're eyeing off a bit of an international series where there's a lot of money to attract the world's best players and encourage them to go overseas. And they're going to look at Australia as potentially one of those events. Well, that's a good thing for Australian golf. But if the Saudis want to take uh, Bryson DeChambeau, take him. Please just take him away. <laughs> just take him away from. Just take him away, please. And find a physio he's not, for he's him as well. Not my cup of tea. No, he's, he's not, not my cup of tea. I, 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 love golf swings that are balanced and rhythmic and all that sort of stuff. And he just swings it out of his shoes. And, and, and to be fair, with all this hoopla that he's created over his own game, and it actually hasn't been that successful. Yes, he won it, a major yeah, and no. a couple of. Events. And it's an absolute lie. Yeah. It's a lie, Evan. Did you see the the the? Uh, on, this is going to be a yeah, nah, because Evan's on now, I'm going to speak to him about it. Yeah, it's an early Did you yeah, see nah. the, uh, the, the <laughs> lie and lofts of his clubs? Yeah. He just stamps them differently. Yeah. He's got four yeah. irons that are stamped four, six iron. Just hit a six iron. Like his, his pitching wedge is 40 degrees. And, and for the listeners out there that don't know all the lofts and whatnot, a pitching wedge is normally about 48 degrees. So yeah. his, his pitching wedge is eight degrees stronger than you and I. So it's, uh, I don't think that's almost like an eight iron. So... Yes, he's hitting the ball further with a driver. He can't lie about that. But everything else lost, is a lie. You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a walking Cairo um, <laughs> dream. That's what he's. He's, he's a Cairo's wet dream, Dyson, Bryson yeah. Shambo, because that's where he's going to spend the next five years of his life. I reckon if he keeps swinging like that. Hey, uh, Evan, we'll leave it there, mate. Really appreciate. it. We'll catch up when you get over. When do you go to the states and uh, take up the the new gig? Next week, actually. So, yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Thanks for your kind words. And, and yeah, thanks for everyone for um, listening to Chasing Majors on, on the podcast doors. It's going to be good fun. Yeah, check it out if you're a golf fan. It's a fascinating sports fan. It's a fascinating insight into one of the most successful eras in any sport, and that was the Tiger Woods era, winning majors left, right, and center. Evan Priest, thanks, mate. Have a good one. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Adam.